Let's stand and pray. Enter into his presence. In Jesus' name, we praise you, Father. We glorify you, Father. We honor you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 My, I praise you, Father. I glorify you, Father. You are worthy, Father. You are worthy, Father. You are worthy. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 He buku sabakahaya tatamananahaya. Kekie kolorotalarata tatamamahaya. Hello, Bokur, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Die Bokushatatahaya. Die Kulorotabukusaya. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Last night's session was uh, <laughs> a little different. Um, In all transparency, probably no more than about 30, 35% of what was talked about last night was specifically about the subject. The Holy Ghost was leading to deal with quite a few different things last night. But the subject was still the subject, and the subject was, of course, the exercise of faith is by speaking, not by asking. And uh, it's, my uh, intellect would have liked to have covered that specific area of the evening in more fine detail. Uh, but there is teaching on that if you're available or if you're interested. In the Call to War last year, the video briefings, I took four entire briefings to discuss the exercise of authority. So that's that was about five, five and a half hours worth of teaching. So you would see that last night it wasn't possible to cover that in any kind of detail. 
I feel good about the thoroughness or the depth of that teaching in the briefings. And so if you're interested, it's really easy to find. You can go to apostoliciron.com or to Apostolic Iron Channel on YouTube, and it's all there. Um, and uh, and it's very critical. It, it, it's, it's very critical to have an understanding of that principle and also a a comfort level in exercising uh, the principle of faith in speaking. But today, uh, I don't normally do this, but I feel pretty certain (laughs) that this morning we're going to deal with the concept of positioning prayer, and tonight we will deal with the whole goal of prayer, and that's kingdom praying. And so... Um, and I, 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 I love this kind of an environment. I, I like it both ways. If I'm sitting in a studio with no humans there, I can stay really focused on the subject because the spirit is not letting me pick up on stuff and, and I'm not going here and there. But in this kind of environment, uh, even though others will watch this and it will be recorded, the teaching is much more focused on who's here and what the Lord is saying to you. So uh, I really want to talk about this, and and I have talked about and taught on positioning prayer before today, but I will say to you, uh, I'm excited about this morning because the majority of this this morning will be brand new. I have never taught it exactly like this before, and uh, it started flowing. In fact, I spent up until the moment we pulled in this parking lot finalizing some things I was writing down. And, and uh, if you look at my notes, uh, I, I've got notes right here. And that notes is simply a list of scriptures written out. <laughs> There's very little, uh, very, very little... Um, commentary between those that's the holy ghost prerogative i just have the scriptures written out so that i can reference them quickly especially when i am in a hurry and today will be i hope this is not a uh, (laughs) an offensive phrase to you but today's going to be fast and furious it's going to be really fast not furious in anger, but furious in haste. Praise God. So uh, you understand that I understand it took the Lord years to teach me this. And so I have matured into an understanding that you're not going to get this in one session. If, you, if you're able to get this in one session, I'm happy to sit down. You need the microphone. Because you need to teach me how to do that because I've never been able to do that. So this is uh, definitely seed sowing. Uh, Many of you, if you've heard much of my material, have heard the phrase positioning prayer. And maybe you've even heard some of the sessions on positioning prayer. This is going to be, this is going to be closer today to my personal daily exercise than anything I've taught so far. And there are things the Lord has led me to do. He didn't explain to me why I was doing them. And today, 
uh, I have more explanation for my benefit and hopefully for yours too of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So we're going to start, if you don't mind, with uh, Psalms 118, verse 14. I'm going to read fast. Uh, and sister, uh, God bless you. I'm not waiting to read for the screen. So you'll, you've done really well. So I hope that you're able to keep up with it. So Psalms 114, uh, 118, verse 14. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice, uh, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go de- go into them, and I will praise the Lord. Uh, this gate of the Lord is into which the righteous shall... Wait, open to me the gates, this is verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord, colon, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Who is that? Jesus. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And in context, this is what the next verse says. In the context of the stone which the builders has rege- uh, 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 refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. That verse is often quoted as a standalone verse. Speaking of each day individually as a day the Lord has made. And of course, that is true. It is true that every day is a day the Lord has made. That every day is a gift from God to us. Every day. Every day. But in the context of the uh, 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 the verse, in the context in which it's contained, that's not speaking about every day. It's speaking of the day, the period, the time when the Lord is fulfilling His promises to His people. We are living in the day the Lord has made. This is the time. We're living in the, we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. Notice it didn't say the end of the world. Because the ends of the world is more than one end. The ends are staged out in phases. Now, I don't know what your personal eschatology is. That's the fancy theological word for your end-time prophecy doctrine. But I am prepared to defend mine. 
because mine, I believe, didn't come from me, and I didn't read it in books. I found it in the book, and I can defend it, I believe. And I believe that uh, the first end that's about to take place is the rapture of the church, which is going to end the church age. And then there's going to be a seven-year transition period where the Lord ties up all the loose ends. And then there's going to be an end of that seven-year period, which will be a beginning of the thousand-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there will be an end of that age, which will be concluded by the great white throne judgment, and we will enter into the eternal kingdom. So there's at least three ends. So we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. Why? Because if you're in the church, you're going to be alive and experience all three ends, even though there's a thousand years between the second end and the third end. Because the church is going to be raptured, given glorified bodies, and we're coming back with him at the end, at the second end, and we're going to rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years and be there at the third end. So the verse is true. We are the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. So considering that this day isn't just another day the Lord has made, and we're thankful for every day that he gives us, uh, not because it's better to be here than heaven. Paul said for me to live as Christ but die as gain. But because if I'm going to be here, I want to be a part of the significant things that God has promised and is doing. But you don't just wake up each day and find yourself a part of that. In the Pentecost I was born into and raised in, that's exactly how we did it. You just get up every morning and you praise God a little bit and then you want to make sure you're forgiven so you're still saved. And if you got anything that's all that important to you, you tell God about it. Otherwise, you say, I'll talk to you later, Lord. I got plenty to do today. I, I got to be started on my day. You say, Brother Wright, it, it's not written. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's exactly like that. It's just some are more formal with their prayer. They got an hour to do it in. And so they got to do something for an hour. So they fill it up with other stuff. But the end result is still the same. Whether they are the spiritual ones that give God a whole hour before they go do their thing. Or there are others that are just trying to make sure that they are still saved, and as soon as they know that, they're ready to go about their day. Unless, of course, again, we have some needs that we want God to do because it never crosses our mind that he may have something for us to do today, and we don't stick around long enough to find out what that is. I know there's an element of, I know that there would appear to be an element of sarcasm in the way I approach that. I just want to reassure you, you're absolutely right. (laughs) And if you're only picking up an element of sarcasm, you're not very spiritual. 
because there's a whole lot more than an element of sarcasm in there. It's total sarcasm. Because it is frustrating to me out of my mind that people who have the same Holy Ghost I do can be content just punching their clock, so to speak, spiritually every day. Just clicking off church services. Well, I got another one of those out of the way. The average Pentecostal, I, I, I'm not talking to the rest of the world. I'm talking to people that are Pentecostal but need to be apostolic. And the average Pentecostal has their lives divided into two seg- segments, the spiritual and the secular. And the spiritual is the very small amount of time that is any concept or thought of God and participation in God in their spirit, their minds, their souls, whatever. And then there is this secular side where they, where they live, do everything else. Go to school, go to work, hang out with their friends, spend time with their family, Check in with people on social media. Indulge in some kind of entertainment, hopefully wholesome. You know, you can go to hell participating in wholesome entertainment because you give all your time to that and don't have time to the Lord. And it doesn't matter if there's nothing sin in anything you're participating in. It's the time that's the issue. You know what? I've had people say to me, Brother Wright, I'm really busy. I don't have time to do this, that, and the other. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm busy. Yeah, because those three or four hours you spent on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, that's so eternally important you can't squeeze prayer in. Because we're busy. You know what would really be awesome? I didn't plan on saying this, but here it is. You know it would really be awesome? If you just could pretend that God is on Facebook and communicate with him. You might become spiritual. <laughs> Ooh, Lord. I feel sorry for people that think because I'm on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. I got about 34 notifications I haven't responded to. I keep getting these notifications come up on my iPad. So-and-so still waiting for your response. They may get it in eternity. It may be when I get around to it because right now it's no priority of mine at all. Because if you really want to communicate with me, you know my phone number or you know my email address. And I respond to that. I don't have time for the other. I don't do Facebook. I preach on Facebook, period, in the story. I don't respond to tweets. I just preach on Twitter. And I got people who want to engage me in all that. Well, it's kind of hard to engage somebody that's not even paying attention to the fact you're trying to engage. Well, that's rude. Too bad. 
It's like sitting here. I got the microphone and you're not talking. <laughs> it's, I, that's what Facebook and Twitter is to me. I got the microphone and you're not talking. You don't have to listen. But I don't have to have a conversation with you either. Why? Because I'm that unfriendly? No. I have different priorities. It's a matter of priorities. Because the last time I checked, I've got no way to expand the number of hours that I'm providing in a day. And I, unfortunately, I'm not always doing something productive every hour of the day. It's the goal. I fail. Some days I fail a lot. But it's never not the goal. It's always the goal to redeem the time because the days are evil. I apologize. I lied a while ago. The Holy Ghost has slowed this thing down, hasn't it? I'm not even started on the subject yet. It's a matter of priority. This is the day. Brother Herod, we've lived a long time, man. And we've lived all these years to get here. The people I feel sorry for, I got a, a granddaughter that's about to be 20. And, I, and my youngest grandchild is going to be five in a couple of months. He thinks he's going to be 15, but he's all really only going to be five. And, there's, and I, I, I preached one night, and my oldest grandson came up to me. He said, Dad, Dad, I don't like Grandpa, Pawpaw, Paw, Peepaw, Grandfather. No. No, my, I, my eldest grandchild named us. She named her my mom, and then I ended up being dad, dad, and we liked it. Because her parents were <laughs> Papa and Meemaw. And my parents were Grandpa and Granny. No. So he, my eldest grandson came up to me and said, Dad, Dad, do you think I even need to waste my time thinking about girls and getting married because there's not even going to be a chance to do that? <sighs> what could I say to him? Son, you'll have to leave that in the hands of God. Because there really is a good possibility you will never get married. A real possibility. Because when all on the day all of this concludes, there's going to be somebody old like me. There's going to be infants. They're going to be single people, married people. They're going to be engaged people. They're going to be people that are getting ready to be married that day. And the rapture is going to take place. And if God's not number one in your life, you're not going to be happy about that. This is the day.
I know folks, well, you know, some of you young people may be sitting there, well, I envy you because you got to grow up and have kids and grandkids. My problem, I envy you because you got the health and the strength to be on the front lines of what God's going to do in this earth. I remember the day the Lord moved me off the field and onto the sideline to coach. I remember that day. I remember the day. November 1998, the Lord says to me, through a man of God, a prophecy, you will live to see all of my promises to Antioch come to pass, but they're not happening through you. Well, guess what? Next November, uh, the November next year, that's going to be 20 years ago, he told me, Thanks for all you've done, but get off the field. Somebody else is going to be leading the team on the field. So, sorry. Envy me all you want. I envy you. Because you're going to get to be on the front lines doing the stuff I always wanted to be able to do. So, if you believe this is the day, and if you believe that God has created you and I specifically to be a part of this day, trust me, Peter, James, John, Paul, they would have all loved to be a part of our day. They weren't. The Old Testament believers all died in faith, not having received the promise. Everybody has their place. Are you going to cherish yours? Are you do something about yours? So, depending on your faith, and the thankfulness that you have that today is the day the Lord has made. And that you've been privileged to be a part of this day. This came to me the other night and it left before I could say it. And I just came back. <laughs> I saw the number of hands that were raised the other night that were not raised in the church. Can I ask you a question? What makes you so deserving that those thousands upon thousands of people that walk the streets and drive the roads of this nation don't know the truth that you do? Have never experienced the Holy Ghost and you have. What makes you so privileged? You better than them? You're more deserving than they are? I'm not. So if I'm in here and they're not, what does that say about God's plan for me? I've got brethren that honestly believe that end time revival started. I'm not one of them. Everybody that we're praying through now, we're praying through because God has chosen them to be trained to be harvesters in the field. 
They're not the harvest. They've been privileged to be trained to be the harvesters of the harvest. The harvest hasn't begun yet because we've still got too many harvests just to, just going and visiting the barn once or, once or twice a week. The field is the world. But what do we do? We just come hang out in the barn a couple of times a week and put in our time and make sure that we're still saved because this is all our faith is to us. We have a barn-centered faith, not a field-centered faith. You've got the privilege, old or young. You say, well, I'm too old for this, Brother Wright. I doubt seriously there's more than one or two people in this room older than 71. If that. Don't tell me about old. If you're breathing, God's not done with you. If you're still breathing and you're done, we got a problem. Because if you quit living before God stops you breathing. You're not going to be saved. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. When I was in high school, I ran the 440. Tell how long ago that was because those were yards, not meters. I don't know how I got stuck running that. I was fast, believe it or not. But I guess the coach didn't consider me having sprinter speed. So he had me run the 440. That's a quarter mile. A quarter mile is very distinctive. The 400 meters or 440, 440 yards is very distinctive. It's too long to be a sprint, too short to be a distance run. So you run until you die. The gun sounds, you take off, you run as hard as you can for as long as you can. And back then, we didn't have all that nice rubberized track. Our tracks were cinders, little tiny pieces of rock. And you round that last curve, and your body's, your mind's saying, go fast. And your body's saying, I don't know who you're talking to, idiot, but that's not me because I'm doing the best I can, even if it looks like I'm going in slow motion. Because it felt like you were going in slow motion. And somewhere around that last curve, when you're looking at the finish line, winning is not in your mind. What's in your mind is, i got to cross that line so I can fall in the grass. Because I don't want to fall in this cinder because I didn't make the finish line. Because you get permanently embedded little black spots in the palms of your hands for, and knees from falling in that stuff. And the sad part was, I ran with a lot of guys. Boy, they were really fast. Some of them were ahead of me. But they didn't have enough left to get to the finish line. And they fell in the rocks, the cinders. So my question is you, to you is, you really think you're judged on how you began? 
You judged on how you end. They don't give trophies for who's ahead in the first turn. They don't give trophies for who's ahead at the halfway mark. They don't give trophies for who finishes the, the, the second turn ahead. They give trophies or ribbons for who crosses the line, the finish line first. So here we are, okay? Paul said, you did run well, but what's hindered you? He said, having begun in the spirit, are you now living in the flesh? Are you now trying to be a Christian by the flesh? You started out good. Unfortunately, We know, guys, that were some of the great men of God of our day. But then they raised up a son, let their son take over the church. And the son just flushed, excuse the terminology, flushed everything the father stood for down the toilet. And so what did the father and mother do? Rather than having to accept that their sons and grandchildren are not believing the truth. They changed. After all those years, they became like what their sons were now living. They ran well. And the problem is, if you knew anything about the last 50 years of Pentecost, it would shock you at some of the names that's happened to Do you think that if I've been preaching truth and my kids stop believing and living truth, that if I start believing and living like them, that's going to end up meaning they're saved? No. It's going to, it means I'm going to end up being lost like them, even though I've got all these years and decades of faithfully following the Word of God. In some ways, you'd almost, you'd almost envy the person that gets saved today and killed tomorrow. Whoa, what a short trip. They didn't have much time to blow it. You say, what a tragedy. Really? Here and now you might call it a tragedy, but there you'd call it victory. For me to live as Christ and... Dies gain. Okay. Maybe maybe that's done now. Okay. So this is the day the Lord's made. What are you going to do about it? Well, I just get up and go about my day, and if the Lord needs me for anything, he'll let me know. Really. And there's that's faith. That's faith. Because if I believe this is the day the Lord has made, and I have chosen to believe this is that day, and that I have been granted the privilege and the honor and the blessing to be a 
part of that day, then I'm going to prepare myself at the beginning of each day to participate. I'm going to do that. So Psalms 42 and 1 says it this way. As the heart, the small deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. My flesh, or excuse me, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Well, that's Old Testament. I've got a New Testament answer. When you wake up. <laughs> when you wake up. David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't have, even, even as great a man as he was, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born of woman. And yet he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? John the Baptist did not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. David was Israel's greatest king. But he did not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he has to ask himself, when can I come and appear before God, the living God? Why? Because in the Old Testament, you had to be a part of the tribe of Levi. You had to be a part of the family of priests. And you had to have the, the, uh, the, the, the high priest and, or someone in that category that was senior enough to let you be a part of those who went into the holy place every day. But only the high priest once a year was able to go through the second veil into the presence of God. And guess what? David wasn't of the tribe of Levi. And he had no right to come before God. God gave very specific directions to Moses for building the tabernacle. But when David became king, Samuel had used the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm trying to win the battle against the Philistines. He got killed, and the Philistines captured the Ark. David becomes king. He wants to get the Ark of the Covenant back because that was representative of the presence of the Lord. So David goes down and thinks he's going to bring the cart back in a modern method. In God's method, there were staves or long poles that went through rings on the four corners of the ark. And, and, the, and, and the priests and no one touched the ark. And so they would slide those poles through the rings. And the, the priests, four priests, would carry the ark on their shoulders. And that's how it got from one place to the next. But David wanted to go down and get the ark from the Philistines because their cattle was dying. Their God was falling over with his head falling off, break, broken off the, the statues. They wanted that out of there. 
There was a plague that God sent on them, and I won't, in this polite company, explain what that plague was. <laughs> Just, you can look it up if you're interested. It wasn't a very fun thing, to say the least. So they wanted rid of the ark. <laughs> so David says, this is a new day. We'll use a new method. So he had a cart built, had oxen to draw that, had two priests to drive on the cart. So they put the cart on the back of the, of the ark on the back of the cart. And guess what? That cart went over some rock, rock, uh, rocky ground. And so the ark began to sh- uh, shift in the back. And so the priest, not wanting the ark to be damaged, reached back and touched it and died. And David gets offended with God. I'm trying to bring your ark back. And you killed the man? And the problem was, the Lord never told him how to bring the ark back in a cart. You can use all the methods, modern methods you want. But you better be sure God's okay with those methods. Because somebody's going to die. If you're reading all these church growth books and all that stuff, oh, you're in danger. Any church growth book that doesn't start with discussion of this passage, except a grain of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Any church growth book that doesn't start with that concept, it's not worth reading. Now, if you'd like to start a fire, it might be good kindling. Or if you've got it as a PDF document or or whatever on your uh, on your device, delete it. It's worthless because it's a new cart. It's not God's way. Do you think that rocky ground would have been a problem to four men carrying that ark on their shoulders like God prescribed? Nah. But it was tough for that cart, so the ark gets jostled. So David, he says, ho, ho, ho. He puts the house, the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's house gets blessed because the ark of God is there. David said, no, 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 this can't happen. So now he decides to do it God's way. So he takes this whole company of people down to Obed-Edom's house to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. And every six steps... One, two, three, four, five, six. Time to offer sacrifices and praise and dance before the Lord. One, two, three, four, five. How long do you think it took them to get from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem? But wait a minute. There wasn't anybody else going to die on his watch. He's going, there's no place it said for him to do it like that. But he says, we're, this is what I desire. We're going to do, we're going to go as far as we need to go here to make sure the Lord knows we revere him. He is holy. But get this. When David brought the ark to Jerusalem, guess where the tabernacle was? In Shiloh, David didn't take the ark to the tabernacle and put it back in the holiest of all. 
He brought the ark to Jerusalem, David's capital city. Jerusalem wasn't the capital city under Paul, uh, Saul. And guess what David did with it? He built a three-sided tent called the Tabernacle of David and put the ark in that covering. Oh, they didn't touch it. But you know what that meant? David of the tribe of Judah, who's not a priest nor the high priest, could come worship before God every day. That period of time, while the ark was in the tabernacle of David, was the closest to the New Testament that they ever experienced in the old. So when he said, oh God, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When shall I come before God? Before the living, or, or no, how does it go? Next verse here. My soul, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is what God fell in love with right there. And then David decides, we're going to build God a house. I'm living in this palace, and God's out there in this tent. And the Lord said, did I tell you to do this? Did I tell you I wanted to be shut back up in the holiest of all, even if it's in a beautiful temple? So the Lord wouldn't let David, for the rest of his life, build that temple. The temple didn't get built till after David died. Oh, God said he couldn't build the temple because he had blood on his hands. He might have had blood on his hands, but he had access to the presence of God every day. And, he, and David appointed singers and musicians to play and praise God before God all day long every day. And everybody, no matter what tribe, had access to the presence of God every day for the rest of the life of David. And if that's so, do you even value the fact that you're now the holiest of all where the presence of God dwells? You don't even have to get out of your bed to come in the presence of God. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to leave your job. You don't have to get off whatever transportation or out of whatever transportation you're in. You can, you can come before the presence of God all day, every day. Does it matter to you? Jesus' name. So David wrote this one, Psalms 100, verse 5. Psalms 100, verse 5. David says, Make a joyful Lord a, a noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. This had to be written while David was alive. Because Israel, when the temple was built, couldn't do this anymore. Until the day of Pentecost. 
serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. We belong to him. We are his sheep, the sheep of his flock in the pasture. Here's the instruction. This is how you start your day. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It's not even conscious with me in the morning. It's not even conscious. I step out of bed, my foot touches the floor, and without even thinking, thinking it comes, thank you, Father. I don't know why. It's not conscious. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And most mornings, I think it was Charles that asked me, he said, how do you know you're connected? <laughs> if I touched an electrical outlet, how would I know I was connected? <laughs> you, so you'd feel something, right? And, and on those days I'm connected and I don't have to do anything to get connected, I know I'm connected because I get up and I go, thank you, Father, and it goes, Does that happen every day? Oh, no, it doesn't. Those are the days I know there's more for me to do because I've let stuff happen. And so somebody said, uh, I, I think it was Sam said, how, how do I teach young people to be connected? You don't. Because if you got the Holy Ghost, the connection is supposed to be automatic. So what you teach people to do is how to find out what's keeping them from being connected and how to get rid of it. So if I've got sin, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I've got unrepented sin in my life and I step out of that, that uh, uh, bed and I put my foot on the ground and go, thank you, Father, and nothing happens, okay, i got to get rid of that stuff that's causing the break in connection. Or if I've got somebody that's done me wrong and I'm still dwelling on it and I haven't dealt with it, i got to deal with that. Most of the time, though, what's keeping me from being connected is cares I cast yesterday. But sometime during the night, I let that thing come back into my spirit. And I wake up with that in my mind. And I got to cast to get rid of that thing that's breaking my connection. I use this example with Sam and I've used it with Charles. If I have an appliance and I plug it into the wall and it's not working... First thing I'm going to do is check and make sure there's power to the, to the outlet. If there's power to the outlet and the appliance isn't working, i got to find out where the brakes and the wire are between the wall and my appliance or computer or whatever it is. Because if, the, if there's no brakes in the connection, when I plug it in, it's connected. So the idea... You don't have to learn how to get connected. You have to be disciplined and refuse to accept not being connected and be honest and humble enough before God for him to show you what's keeping you from being connected today. Probably about this point in my life, 
probably about 50% of the days, it's just his presence is there in manifestation to me instantaneously. Probably about another 30% of those days, 30 out of another 50%, it's just a matter of bringing a new measure of focus, just additional measure of focus right at this moment and just focusing on him. It's about all that's necessary to really feel that witness. That last 20%, that's when I begin to open my spirit up. Okay, Lord, what's here? What's going on here? Because you see, you can't participate in positioning prayer till the connection is solid. I've done this already, but I can hold this and talk all day long. But it's a one-sided conversation if there's no connection. And we've all heard the commercials over the years. Can you hear me now? But how many Pentecostals? It doesn't even cross their mind God can't hear them. They just get out of bed and start telling him what to do. Forgive me of this, fix this, do this. Oh, by the way, praise the Lord, but I I need you to go here, go there, change this, give me this. And there's nobody on the other end of the line because they didn't take any time to to come before the presence of the Lord. They had no time for him. They only wanted him to be there instantaneously for them. Praise God. Here it is. Psalms 1611. You may not be aware of it because it doesn't sound exactly the same in the King James New Testament in Acts 2. But Peter quotes in his message on the day of Pentecost, Psalm 1611. But Psalm 1611 says, here you go now. Thou wilt show me the path of life. He didn't say that you'll show me life. There's a path. If I could be so blunt, there's a procedure and a lifestyle. The Bible talks about sinners, the way of peace they have not known. That word way is a road, a life, a lifestyle. Zacharias prophesied about his son, John the Baptist, that he was going to be the forerunner of him who would lead the people into the way of peace, the lifestyle of peace. So there is a path of life. Path implies movement, progress. So you can't get out of bed spiritually static. You can't live your life spiritually static. You can't go to bed spiritually static. 
You're, every moment of your day, you're either moving closer to Jesus or farther away, whether you're consciously aware of that or not, every moment of the day. So in the morning, this day the Lord's made, I want to come into his presence with singing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why do I want to come into his presence with singing? Thou wilt show me the path of life. Here it is. You ready? The path of life has two dimensions to it. Both are equally important. We're going to talk about the first dimension this morning and the second dimension tonight. The path of life is in thy presence is fullness of joy. So the path of life is entered into every day. By, by coming into his presence and positioning by his grace, by his grace, positioning myself. Because while the grace will empower me to do it, grace will not overpower my will and do it. So I have to cooperate with grace by choosing to participate with grace by letting grace give me the desire and the ability to do it. Grace cannot enhance my desire and empower me to want to do something that I refuse to let him want me cause me to want to do so I have to participate with grace so here's the path of life in thy presence first and foremost is fullness of joy and when you learn to come into his presence the first thing every day. Then you're positioned for the second part of life. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. What does that mean? When I come into his presence, I come into him. And now he wants to come through me and flow in the manifestation of his power and there is such joy pleasure in being a conduit of God I don't please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say but at this stage in my life I hate traveling I just never travel again but I love the flow and for me there's a price to pay Forgetting where it's the will of God for me to be so that I can enjoy the flow. And if that means airports and beds that are not my bed and pillows that are not my pillows and bathrooms that aren't my bathroom and having to pack, which I hate, and unpack. And, 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 and you know, I, I don't know if I'm weird or what. I, I trust my wife. I trust her to the nth degree. But somehow in our marriage from the beginning, I did all the packing. And when we get to a hotel room, you wouldn't know that I was the same guy that lived at home, would you? Because <laughs> the first thing I want to do in that hotel room, I want to get everything out of those suitcases, get it put away. Don't come in my house in my space because you'll, you won't see that. Because my problem is, by the time I get home, 
all of my energy for that is gone. So the suitcase may sit there a couple of days without even being opened. <laughs> so we haven't talked about it. But some days she just realizes I've gone as far as I can go. And she didn't say anything. I'll just come back to the house and the suitcase will be unpacked. She's very, very kind to me like that. I, and then I, then what I do is beat myself up. I let this stuff sit here, and I know that clutter just about drives her crazy, and she has to live with clutter, Mr. Clutter. Not because I'm slovenly. Is that a word? I think so. <laughs> but because, yeah, it is now. But because my focus changes, and when, I, when it switches from this to this, I don't even think about this anymore. And there are those suitcases sitting. I'm already over here. And that focus may be get in my recliner, put my feet up, and just go someplace else with my mind and let my body do nothing. And I have to do that. That's, and it's not because I'm old. I've always needed to do that. When I've been out and it's all given out, i got to go someplace and let it come back. But you have no idea. I have no capability of telling you how much I cherish the privilege, the privilege, the unearned, undeserved privilege of just going someplace where he wants me to be and just hearing repeating, hearing repeating. Most of the time, I have to go back and listen to what I taught because He's always saying stuff that I didn't know. And that is so awesome. Because you see, <laughs> you can't appreciate what's happening when I'm standing here. I can. Well, never heard that before. <laughs> never thought of that before. That's, Lord, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's really good, Lord. I, I'll have to go back and look that up. So when it's over with, I could go, wow, that was awesome. Because I'm not talking about Chester Wright at all. Because I know who did it, where it came from. You know what that's called? At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And you know the deal for me? It doesn't matter if it's 10,000 people or one person. If, if, if I'm someplace the Lord sent me, and there's a flow going, there's pleasure happening. I'm sure it's the same. But when I go places, I'm in the pulpit about 20% of the time I'm ministering. I'm ministering about 80% of the time I'm out of the pulpit. The first week of the year, I went to Ohio and Texas. I was in the pulpit one, two, three, four, five, six times, probably a total of 12 hours, and out of the pulpit in five days, I probably ministered right at 40 hours, literally, because you see, the pleasure's in the flow. The pleasure's in the flow. So I don't have to have a microphone to enjoy this other part of life. 
But you don't have to be a preacher to enjoy it either. Because I enjoy that flow, whether it's in prayer, kingdom praying. That flow comes and you're binding and loosening and you're charging hell's gates and you're telling the devil what you think of him and he can't do that. Boy, yes. But I'm talking this morning about how to have that first step of life. Because you can't have the second without the first. Because the right hand, pleasure at his right hand, can't happen if you don't first come in his presence. And the coming in his presence is the preparation of the day. It's positioning prayer. It's coming into his presence so that now you and him are connected for the day. And he's there and he's flowing. And all you're doing is trying to sense, okay, where's the flow going now? Where's the flow going now? And I could be sitting in my chair just reading. And all of a sudden the phone ring. And I, and I look at that name. And I know I'm supposed to answer it. Not because of who it is. Because when I look at the name, there's a flow. If there's no flow, it goes to voicemail. That's horrible, brother, right? Sorry. That's the way I live and I'm not changing. <laughs> Sorry. But I pick up that phone, it may be an hour, it may be five or six hours later, depending on the flow. But trust me, <laughs> if we're on the phone and the flow stops, I will be off the phone within five minutes. Yeah. Why? Because it's about being a conduit. Don't you want to be friendly? Yeah. I got a wife to be friendly with. I got sons to be friendly with. I got grandchildren to be friendly with. But most importantly, I got Jesus to be friendly with. Other than that, it's all about flow. It's all about ministry. It's not about hanging out. I'm a great friend. I'm a terrible buddy. In Singapore, do you know the difference between those two? A friend is someone that's always there. Friend sticks closer to a brother. You can always count on a friend if you need. A buddy somebody you just hang out with because you don't like to be by yourself. I love to be by myself. Now, I don't count her as being by myself. I'm, I'm an introvert. I am an introvert. Big, you don't think so, but it's absolutely the truth. All of this that you're seeing here, this is not me. I am an introvert. This is Holy Ghost. Me, I'm an introvert. I like to be by myself. I don't like to be talking. Why? Because... When it, I know when the flow's there. And when there's the flow, my poor wife, I can't tell you the number of hours she sat at a table 
And she said to me, you'll just, you'll just sit here all night, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. As long as there's a flow, I would sit here all night. Because we're not talking about sports or cars or clothes or investments. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about kingdom stuff. I don't, I don't have friends I communicate with about secular stuff. I don't have friends I communicate with about spiritual politics. I got friends. We get together. What do we want to talk about? We won't talk about the kingdom of God. We won't talk about the things of God. I want to hear what, what God's saying to somebody else. I like to listen. What's God saying to you? What are you learning? In thy presence is fullness of joy. If you're in his presence, and I don't even know you, if I'm in his presence, we got an instant connection. We had an instant connection. You don't have to look like me. You don't have to like, to like, like the same football team I do. You don't have to like the same food I do. You don't have to like the clothes I wear. Or I don't have to like the clothes you wear. But we have an instant connection. If you're in the presence of God, and I'm in the presence of God. So tonight we'll talk about the second part. But let's talk about this first part. Okay? Psalm 65, verse 1. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. And unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me, as for our transgressions thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Now that's Old Testament. Let's bring that into the new. I'm satisfied being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Blessed is the man that he's chosen to cause to approach unto thee. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because I can't take any credit for my hunger and thirst. It's a work of the Spirit in me. Then why doesn't God do that in everybody? He tries, but not everybody's willing to let Him. Because you see, the more of Him that's in me, the less of me that's here. The more of His priorities I want, the less priorities I can have. And the goal, of course, is to get to the place you have no priorities at all, only his priorities. I was, I was a young pastor, and I was feverishly trying to get this church going and have revival, and I'm, 
I don't like red lights. I don't like stop signs. I don't even like yield signs. I don't like blinking lights. I don't like, I don't like anything that's slowing me up. I hate them. And to be, to sit in a red light just grated on me. I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I'm serious. And I, I'm riding along and it's just the Lord and I. And I'm just praying, telling God all the stuff he needs to be doing. Not for me, for the church. Oh, Lord, you got it. You know, blah, 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 and, and, I, and the light turned red. And I pulled up, stopped at that light, and I'm sitting there fuming. I don't have time for this light. I got, I got, I got places to go. I got stuff to do. Got to see this church grow. Got to see people saved. And this still small voice interrupted all of my whatever you call that, and said, "Son, are you a part of my plans? Or excuse me, am I a part of your plans?" I thought that's the most ridiculous thing God ever said to me. I literally laughed out loud and said, I thought to myself, what do you think I've been doing all morning? Telling you how much I need you to be a part of my plans. I'm trying to get this church going. I'm trying to see people saved. And see, I had this exalted situation. I wasn't asking for nothing for myself. I'm asking for all this for the church, for the kingdom, for the lost. And so he says, son, am I part of your plans? I laughed out said, loud and said, Lord, you know you're part of my plans. <laughs> Just as quietly he said, don't you think it would be better if you were a part of my plans? All levity left the car. So laughing now. Bottom line is, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I didn't understand at all what he said, but I knew it was so profound, it just completely negated my whole style and method of approach to God and the things of God. And before I could recover from that, he said to me, Son, Am I a part of your life? No laughter this time. But I still hadn't gotten the message. Lord, you know you're a part of my life. And I said, he said, don't you think it would be better if you were a part of my life? If you've never heard that before, and I've told that story a few times over the years. If you've never heard that before, maybe it doesn't sound much different to you. Trust me when I tell you, honestly, before God, it was probably at least 20 years before I truly understood what he said to me that day. That's the truth. And so part of my preparation of the day is to pray something along this line. Father, I belong to you. By your grace, I'm a part of your plans, a part of your life, a part of your kingdom. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever you're doing, I'm doing. Whatever you're saying, I'm saying. Whatever you love, I love. 
Whatever you hate, I hate. I belong to you, Father. I'm yours. I don't claim you as mine in that sense. I don't have ownership of you. I just have the privilege of you choosing to dwell in me. But I'm yours, Father. I'm yours. Let's talk to him just a minute here. There's a spirit of revelation in this room. There's a spirit of revelation in this room. You need to get this right now. Because this is this is so fun this is so foundational to positioning to being positioned by the grace of God each day. It changes your whole concept of what your day's about. Well, I have to go to work. Sure you gotta go to work. The Lord knows that. You don't think He has plans for you at work? I gotta go to school. You don't think He has plans for you at school? You don't think he has plans for you? I want to go where he's going. I want to do what he's doing. I want to say what he's saying. I want to love what he loves. I don't want to love what he hates. I don't even want to like what he hates. I want to love what he loves. My flesh is totally contrary to all of that. My human will is totally contrary to all of that. But oh, how my spirit longs for that. Hungers for that. Thirsts for that. In the name of Jesus. 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 Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hibutie kahata hasaha. Yalam bukte tie ku usi tie tatahaya. Ilurubukusatahaya darataha. The purpose of apostolic teaching is to not just communicate information, but to impart revelation and understanding and passion and desire along with that impartation. You can have passion imparted to you. You can have desire imparted to you. You can be used of God to impart to those around you love for Jesus, desire to please Jesus, desire to live in His presence. You can have that. You can.
This is the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Come on. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, First Samuel seven verse one says, "And the men of K whatever that is, I like the way they do it in uh, Malaysia KKKL. So, so I'm going to do that here. And the men of K." came, because I can't pronounce that word, and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. It came to pass that while the ark abode in K, that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord... With all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, this is what positioning prayer is. You are by the grace of God, preparing yourself for participation with the Lord and his kingdom that day. So if you'll permit me, I want to read a little bit of something that the Lord gave me on uh, the 3rd of October last year. In fact, it was posted on Facebook. It's The basis of it is in Ezekiel 28, verses 14 and 15. Speaking of Lucifer, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways. From the day that thou wast created till, till iniquity was found in your heart. And I wrote this down as it flowed. Whatever iniquity is, it was able to exist in heaven in Lucifer. 
So it cannot be a product of the flesh because an angel does not have flesh. It cannot be the work, a work of the devil because there was not a devil yet. The only thing that existed in heaven that could produce iniquity was will. And while Lucifer, because he was made out of God's substance, spirit, had the ability to choose, he was not given the right to choose. you got to get this now. There's just not very many people that understand this. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that says, I do. That's not the point. I'm simply saying we haven't worked through this to where we really realize the source of our problem. Now, flesh is, flesh is a problem. No question flesh is a problem, even for a believer. When the Lord saved you, he didn't change your flesh. It's still, you still have a sinful nature. Just read what Paul said in Romans 7. He makes it very clear. When he desires to do the will of God, there's another law in his members that's working against him. Things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. To will is present with me, but how to find... uh, how to do that which I will. And you say, well, I will, will. No, 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 no. The, in his spirit, there was a place where he wanted to please God. But his human will as a product in cooperation with the flesh didn't participate. Flesh is a problem, folks. Following flesh, your own flesh, will take you to hell. Not going to go back into it. We studied uh, Ephesians 2 yesterday, verses 1 through 3. It's very, very specific. And all of that had to do with the, the, the flesh and all that. But what was the original sin? Original sin was not Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden. The original sin was whatever sin that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. And that sin is the root of all sin. Well, it wasn't a product of flesh. He didn't have flesh. It was, the devil didn't make him do it. There was no devil. The only thing he had that could cause him to displease God was a will that he had no right to exercise contrary to God, but did anyway. What was it the devil or Lucifer really, really had a problem with? God made all the decisions. And Lucifer didn't have a right to make any of them. And how many Holy Ghost filled Baptized in Jesus' name, people of God, have that same problem with God that Lucifer did. 
They want to tell God what they think needs to be done, how they think it needs to be done, when and where they think it needs to be done. They don't want to lose the right to make their own decisions. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. So they pray and try to convince God to do what they want to do. And that's the basis of most Pentecostal prayer. Most Pentecostal prayer are prayers of iniquity. This is my will. As my God, I want you to bless my will and me doing what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I don't want anybody telling me otherwise. But I want him to save me. I just want him to save me at the end of all of this. Oh, I want him to be available to rescue me. At home, they ha we have something called AAA, American Automobile Association. You join that, and if you get broken down on the side of the road, you call this number, and they'll send out a tow truck and fix your tire or tow you off, whatever. A lot of people want God to be just like that. Leave us alone unless there's an emergency. We got this. I got this. Now, can something be harmless that could get an archangel and one-third of all angels kicked out of heaven? Let's see what David has to say about what his sin was, was really. Psalms 51, verse 1. We'll read a little bit if you don't mind. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. What are transgressions? Transgressions are the result of iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from mine. What? Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities next verse created me a clean heart O god renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from thy presence take not thy holy spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation uphold me with thy free spirit 
Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. The man after God's own heart had iniquity. Oh, well, he's praying this prayer because of some sins he committed when he was a boy, a teenager. No. He committed these sins after he was the captain and king and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And you know why? Israel went out to war. And the, the generals of his army convinced him that he was so valuable to Israel that it wasn't worth the risk him being out near the conflict lest he, even a stray arrow would kill him and Israel would be devastated because their king, their prophet, their example, their leader would be killed. So while the people of God were out warring for their people, their nation, and their God, their king is laying around the house bored because God didn't design him for leisure. God designed him for victory. Now, I won't go into the fact that who in the world bathes on a housetop? <laughs> Point one. Point two. She had no clue that just a roof or two over there was the king's roof. She had no knowledge that the king in the evening would be walking on that roof. Nah, he never did anything like that. She also wasn't even thinking about the fact that her husband's been going a while at war. She's been at home by herself. Now that's just pure coincidence. So we'll just take her out of the picture and make her completely innocent. She just innocently was bathing naked on her rooftop a few roofs over from the king in the evening time when he would have been finding, trying to find just a little bit of refreshment in the breezes rolling across his roof and the fact that she has been without male companionship for some period of time because her husband's been gone. We just make all that go away because she's innocent. But here is the king, bored, because he's not where he's supposed to be doing what he was designed to do. Because, let's face facts, God didn't know how important David was to Israel. And God wasn't able to protect David in the battle this time like he did all of those times all the way back when the battle was against a bear and a lion. Somehow God had kind of gotten just a little bit shoddy in his work. And so we couldn't trust God to take care of 
David this time around. So we got to protect David our way by convincing him to stay home while we're out here risking our lives for his kingdom, God's kingdom. And he stays home. And nobody is designed to stay saved without a life of purpose. And the only purpose that God gives is the purpose of his kingdom. And the plan of his kingdom and the reason for his kingdom is to set captives free so they can be saved. And if you are a purposeless Christian, just going through the motions, participating in church, because you're too busy and don't have time to be a part of the kingdom, trust me, you're going to commit some kind of adultery in your heart or otherwise, whether anyone else knows it or not, because you weren't designed to be idle. Are you aware there's a difference between recreation and, and entertainment? What does the word recreation mean? Re-creational. So my being is created in such a way that there needs to be a change of pace for me physically. Whether it's rest or a different kind of activity, Oh, that's true. But be really careful about entertainment. Because entertainment is an open door if you're not absolutely careful. And it doesn't start off bad. It just starts off a little bit with a little bit more and a little bit more until the entertainment is doing nothing but feeding the lusts of the flesh and the mind, and you wake up, come to yourself one day and say, how did I get here? How did I get this far away from God? How did I get this disconnected from God? Brother Ida, you're saying you don't do anything that's entertaining? Oh, yeah, I do. Why do you think I know what I'm talking about? Entertainment in moderation, where I'm not participating in anything the Lord would be against. I'm not saying there's no benefit in that. Does anybody watch the movie, God is Not Dead? Wow. Wow. Well, you could say that's entertainment. It was made by Hollywood, some part of Hollywood. But what a message. Even if I didn't agree with the salvation doctrine of the movie, I agreed with the principle. And those arguments 
the existence of God against that atheistic professor and that proof that atheism is not natural, that you got a some reason. If you hate God, you can't be an atheist. What a message. What a message. Sound of Music. Anybody ever watch that? Not everything in that's perfectly biblical, but it, I've enjoyed Sound of Music. Yeah. Now, you're going to find this really, 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 really hard to believe because I'm about to ruin your whole image of me. But I don't enjoy Blood and Guts movies. I don't enjoy movies where people are getting killed and all that. I like Christmas movies that have happy endings. <laughs> Serious. And I don't even believe in Christmas. You think Jesus was born on the 25th of December? No. But I'm glad that the world at least acknowledges that he was born. And I love those. My wife says, they're all the same. Well, don't, you don't have to watch it. I like it. I got some I like. It. I watch every year. I like the story. I like the happy ending. There's enough reality in life. I like a little fantasy every once in a while that everything always turns out okay. Really? Please don't tell anybody this because it ruined my image, but I cry at movies. She looks at me and goes, what are you crying for? I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I'm the man, you're the woman. And you're climbing my case because I'm crying at this movie? I told you, you'd be shocked. I'm looking at faces going, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah. I, I have to discipline myself in the... In December, I like to watch the new ones come out. I check out the Hallmark new Hallmark movies and make sure I, I get to watch them. I, oh my! Really, really. In fact, I have to be very careful because I could spend hours and hours and hours watching one feel-good movie after the next. Really, I mean the problem with movies that stereotypically men like somebody's got to die for you to get pleasure out of that okay so the good guy lives he only killed about 10,000 people so he could live yeah no big deal those people didn't have any mothers or 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 wives or kids they just they just fodder for the movie so the hero could look like he's whatever i don't like that i don't like it i don't i don't enjoy it I really don't. I like when the guy gets the girl and they live happily ever after. <laughs> and it's really true. They're all the same. <laughs> well, you say, well, why do you do that? You think I'm going to watch one where the guy doesn't get the girl? Where there's no happy ending? I got enough of that in life. There's enough of that in real life. I don't, I'm not going to watch that. If I'm going to be entertained, I want, it, I want there to be a good ending. But, of course, the problem with that is I, I, can't, 
I don't know about you. I can't read a book. I can't watch a movie without getting emotionally involved. I have a vivid imagination. And when I'm reading, I'm in that story. If I'm watching a movie, I'm in that movie. I, I can't help it. My wife, she could be watching the wall and she wouldn't get any more invested than that than she does in the movie. She just watches it. I don't mean that bad. She's just a very practical person. and You know, I don't think she's ever cried at a movie. My favorite ones, ones I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. I can almost quote the lines and still cry. So the moral of all this distraction is I have to be very careful what I open my mind and spirit to. Now, this is going to really sound far out there, but... I went to the Naval Academy, the number one sport at the Naval Academy is American football, and every year, Navy plays the Army Academy called West Point, or the United States Military Academy, where the United States Naval Academy, and in four years' time, while I was there, if I said beat Army once, I promise you, 10,000 times, which is not an exaggeration. It's beat Army. Beat Army. Beat Army. Beat Army. Your first year, you go down a, a passageway, and you, come, you don't walk around the corner. You square the corner off, and when you square that corner off, it's beat Army. Every time you turn a corner. So guess what? It matters to me. And so the Lord's talking to me about casting my cares. And I said, what do I cast on you? And he says, whatever matters to you. Lord, you want me to cast the Army-Navy football game on you? He said, only if it matters to you. Well, why should I do that? Because if I don't, my emotions open up to it. I get involved, and then the outcome of the game has an effect on my attitude and spirit. But if I cast it, whatever the outcome is, I don't let it in my emotions so it doesn't affect me. This past year, we lost. Last December, we lost for the first time in 15 years. We won 14 straight years. Yes. <laughs> and I had people say to me, well, I guess you figured it was probably about time for Army. I don't care if they never won again. Me? It would be fine with me if they never, ever, 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 ever won again. It'd be okay with me if they just forfeited the game and said, we can't beat you guys. That's not the point. The point is, I didn't feel any different after we lost 
than I did after the previous 14 victories in a row because I cast it upon him. Here it is, Lord. Whether they win or lose, it's not my problem because I don't want that in here. I don't want that in here. Now, I watched a recording of the Super Bowl. It didn't matter to me who won. I could care less. So I can sit there and watch it, and there's no emotion. I go, wow, look, the Falcons are way ahead. Whoa, the Patriots caught up and won. Yay, isn't that neat? Yep, next. Because if it's something I don't care about, I don't have to cast what I don't care about. I don't care about it. Not going to give it a second thought. Oh, that's nice. Next. I'm trying to make a point using something that's really probably not very relative to your life. I'm trying to make a point. What opens your emotions up? The very thing that can make you really, really excited outside of Jesus? Or the very thing that can make you very depressed? Is something you need to cast because a child of God doesn't want that stuff in their spirit. Because if it gets in your emotion, it will get in your spirit. Because your emotions are an open door to your spirit. Why do you think Hollywood is such so big into horror movies? Because a person sits there, and if they can get them terrified... Fear causes you to open your spirit and the devil slips right in. And it may be weeks, months, or years before he manifests the fact that you gave him permission to come into your life. Because fear is to the devil what faith is toward God. Why do you think Jesus said, Fear not him that can destroy the body, but fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. I say to you, fear him. Show me any place in the Bible where I'm supposed to fear the devil. I'm not. But where does fear come from? These feelings or voices come and say, this is going to happen or that's going to happen or this or that. And the next thing I know, I believe what's said. And then what do I feel after I believe that threat? Fear. That means I just had faith in what the devil said. But if you ask the average Christian, do you believe in the, you believe the devil? No, I don't believe the devil. Oh, do you have fear? Oh, yeah, man, there's stuff that really bothers me. I get really afraid. But you don't believe the devil. You don't believe the devil. So iniquity. Iniquity is. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm making my own decisions. Nobody's running my life but me. Brother Wright, that's, that's not, uh, that doesn't really apply to us. No, it sure doesn't. 
How about Matthew chapter 7, verse 21? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that, what? Doeth the will of God, the will of the Father, right? Which is in heaven. Next verse. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Cast out devils. King James says, and done many uh, wonderful works. The Greek there's literally miraculous works. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to go to heaven. But those that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Because many will say to me, Lord, we've cast out devils in your name. We've prophesied. We've done miracles. And the next verse, he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. You can have so much Holy Ghost that you can cast out devils. You can prophesy. You can do many miracles and not be saved because of one thing. You make your own decisions and run your own life. Because you are a worker of iniquity. The problem is we were born, we were shaping iniquity and born in sin. That's what David said. We were, I was shaping in iniquity. I was shaping in iniquity. Sin, listen to me carefully now. Sin cannot be transferred to you from your parents. The scripture is very clear on this subject. The son won't die for the father's sin. And the father won't die for the son's sin. But something is transferred by birth. A nature. Which is prone to iniquity. How do I know that? I went through that little story. Yesterday, day before, I don't even remember anymore. They all blend together after a while. About infants becoming toddlers. And you don't believe iniquity doesn't have to be taught. Try to tell a small child what to do. I'll say that again. You don't believe iniquity doesn't have to be taught just try just tell a small child no no and look at the reaction to get 
oh, okay. No. Because crying worked to get their way when they were born and for the first six months or whatever. So we've, te- we've taught them that crying can get what you want. So when you began to tell them no, they resort to what worked, crying. That's why the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I'm not saying what method you use. I don't believe in abusing children. I don't believe in punishing children in any way that is harmful or damaging to them physically. But in the struggle between a parent and a small child, you better win every conflict. That means you never say what you don't mean. And you always mean what you say. Threats tell that child, you're not serious. You don't mean what you say. So if you don't want to win the battle, don't start the battle. It is better just to let them have their way than to tell them no and let them win. Why? Why? Because God holds every parent eternally responsible for whether or not they teach their child to respect authority. Because a child that doesn't respect parental authority, school authority, will never respect God's authority. And you and I are charged with the responsibility of teaching that child to accept no as a valid answer of love. But it takes some teaching and training to do that. All seven of our grandchildren, I've never spanked one of them. But if I tell you what to do, you're in my house. And when you come in the door, you don't take over and rule my house. You're now in my territory. And as long as you're respectful to your grandmother and do what you say, have fun. You would think, you would think, Joel and Kate never fed their three kids because the first place they're going when they come in the house is the refrigerator or the cabinet and they're not going to get vegetables. (laughs) I don't eat popsicles. She doesn't eat popsicles. Then why are there boxes of popsicles in our freezer and ice cream and cookies and whatever. The reason you would think that 
their parents don't feed them is because their parents don't feed them that. Because when they hit a lot of sugar, they're bouncing off the walls. But it is our privilege to just fill them up with sugar and send them home. Oh, Brother Wright, you wouldn't do that. Oh, yeah. Payback. Payback. Payback is sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Not very spiritual, but still sweet. So anyway, so when they don't, listen, you can have all the sugar you want as long as you listen. And they don't. It's, uh, you see that chair? You get in that chair and you don't get down till I say so. Well, that little one, the boy that thinks he is born King Noah, he'll get in the chair all right, but he'll let his legs come off the side till his toes about that close from the floor and just stare at me to see what I'm going to do. And I, boy. Listen to me. I don't care how close your toe gets to the floor, but the moment it touches the floor, your time just started all over again. And if you'd like to sit in this chair all day, I've got nothing else to do right now. I don't mind sitting here and making you sit there. You don't do that, do you? Not more than once or twice a visit. <laughs> One day, we'd had them a few days. And there hadn't been too many conflicts, but this particular day, as sweet as they are, they weren't going to listen. And their, mother, their grandmother was telling them something to do, and they weren't listening. And I came, I heard that, and I came downstairs, and I said, what would your grandmother tell you to do? You do it right now. What did they do? They ran up the stairs, went and jumped in the bed to hide from me. Mm. Mm. As a good friend used to say, it started in my feet. It just kind of worked its way up. So I go up the stairs and I come to the end of that bed and I said, what did I tell you to do? And they started laughing. <laughs> Not good. That wasn't good at all. Needless to say, without manhandling them, they finally discovered I meant business. And all three of them were sitting in a different chair. And I think they were there about three, four hours. And the only reason they were let up then is because their grandmother said it was time to eat. Well, that's mean. Not at all. I love those kids. And while they're in my house, my rules, my house, my rules. That's the way it was with my sons. Live any way you want to live. Do anything you want to do. But in my house, 
my rules. You want to live by your rules? Where you want me to help you move your stuff? You don't mean that absolutely 100% minute. Of course, I was counting on them not to call my bluff because I wasn't bluffing. But it had to be established. Yeah. That little thing right now some of you are kind of struggling with. I told all these stories to see if I could poke that a little bit so that we could get that to rise up a little bit. I'm going to help you put a name on that feeling you got right now. It's called iniquity. Did I poke it enough to get it to rise up for some of you? Huh? Did those little stories, did that poke it enough that something rose up and said, that's not right, that's not fair. Did it? I wanted you to experience it. That's that thing you get sometimes. You call it what you want to, but the Bible calls it iniquity. And it's the thing standing between you and God. But here is the problem. We've all got it. Brother Clement, you know what I've discovered in my study and then from my experience and what I've studied? I only commit one sin. Iniquity. Everything else I do is a symptom of iniquity. Because you see, sin is an act. And an act requires a decision of the will. And I can't make a decision of the will and it be sin unless it's in violation to God's authority. So here's how I repent. Father, forgive me of my iniquity and all the things that are a fruit of it. Most days, I don't go through whatever struggles I, other struggles I have because all they are are symptoms. Because if I didn't have iniquity, I wouldn't do any of those. I wouldn't struggle with any of that. I had the prophet pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What's he praying about? Iniquity. He's praying about iniquity. So, for time's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something, and I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to give you the basic things that I try to pray every day. Why? Why? Because of my iniquity. I'm reading real quickly here. Because of my iniquity...
the scripture says, uh, I'm, just for time's sake, I'm going to read only a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things but i say unto you that every idle word the word there is rhema and idle means unoccupied unused so if i'm speaking things of my flesh and i'm not speaking the rhema god gave me to speak i'm going to be held in account for every word from god i do not use but i say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account in the day of judgment in this context, more specifically, these are words that are not rhema, that I'm just speaking because they're my own will. Listen to the next verse, 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And then... Luke 6, 43 says, But a good tree bringeth, for, bringeth not forth good fruit, neither doth a, a, a corrupt tree bring forth... Uh, hang on a minute. Oh. They're hurting especially today. But the Lord's flowing and that's all that matters. So I can read sitting down. For a good tree bringeth forth not good... Not bringeth... Not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. 44. For every tree is known by his fruit. For of the thorns, for of thorns men do gather figs, do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And I, I'd, I'd like to bring an explanation to some verses to you that maybe you haven't understood, maybe you have. Romans 10. I'd love to read this whole chapter, but I don't have time. I'll start with verse 5 very quickly. Romans 10, 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them, but the righteousness... Uh, which is of faith speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up christ again from the dead but what saith it the word is nigh thee the rhema is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the rhema of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, who is the book of Romans written to? Saved people. Are these verses declaring what the plan of salvation is? No. Oh, yeah, they are. 
but not the way to become initially saved. The way to stay saved. Hello? These verses are not talking about how to get born again. This is talking about how to stay saved once you're, you are born again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now hang on, I'm going to explain this. And shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now I, I, I love these verses, here's why. The Greek word translated confess or confession, one is the verb, the other is the noun, simply means this. To speak in agreement with. What's the spirit of faith? I have believed, therefore I've spoken. I hear the voice of God speak into my spirit, and then I speak audibly in agreement with what God said to me, what God said. That's how faith works. That's how salvation comes about. That's why Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.18, by the prophecies that went before on you, make war. How do you, what do you do that? A prophecy is a rhema. It's a word from God telling something that God wants to do. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the word or rhema of God. How do you use a sword? The same way you use a prophecy. In other words, there are some things God gives us that have to be confessed regularly for them to work in our lives. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so therefore, if I've got enough faith to say it, I've got enough faith for it to happen. And so when I speak audibly from my heart, my heart is speaking in agreement with God, and that is an exercise of the will, which gives God then permission to do whatever it is I'm confessing, because it will not be a violation of my will. If I don't confess, God cannot do what he said he would do in me or through me. Because my will is saying no. Because my will is not exercised in speaking audibly what I believe, I claim to believe in my heart. And my flesh and my iniquity need to hear audibly spoken from my mouth. What I believe and want to want to see happen in my life and through my life today. So there are things, I don't say them exactly the same way every day because I don't have it written down and I'm not trying to just be repetitious. I'm trying to flow in the Spirit. There are some days I spend much more time with certain areas than others. There's no exact pattern. There's no exact uh, things to say. It's all flow. But there are basic points I try to cover every day because my flesh and my will 
which both want to cooperate. My flesh wants to cooperate with my will in iniquity. And I want to establish in my life, by the grace of God, the things of God every day. So there are things, that basic things I confess every day. Sometimes in a few words, sometimes in, in, in some significant depth as I feel to do that. So after I have entered into his presence, after I've made sure that there's a connection there, whether it takes seconds, minutes, or hours to enter into his presence, then it's time to begin to establish my position in God, in the kingdom of God, for this day, so that I can go from being in thy presence is fullness of joy to at the manifestation of your right hand in through in and through my life for your kingdom's sake, there are pleasures forevermore. You will recognize some of these things because I've taught them this week. One of the first things that I do in positioning prayer most days, again, I don't have this written out because I don't want it written out. I want to flow in the Holy Ghost as the Lord quickens it to me today. So positioning prayer some days can take five minutes, 15 minutes. There's other days I spent a couple of hours easily just because I, I felt the need and the direction of the Holy Ghost. The flow of prayer was to, to really establish some things today. Because what you don't occasionally fully reestablish, you let slip away. So one of the first things I want to start my day with is, if you don't know what I'm praying, I'm praying the greatest commandment. Father, I receive your love today. I'm not worthy of your love. I don't deserve your love. But I receive your love today. And by your love working through me, I will obey your commandments today. By your love, I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength today. Because you are God and there is none else. And your love for me is what empowers me to love you in return. And Father, today... I receive your love to establish my worth to me because of you, my worth to you. I love me with your agape today, Father, because you loved me enough to take my place and die for me. And if nobody else in the, in the history would have needed that, I'm important enough to you, you would have done that just for me. And so today, I establish in you how important I am to you because you love me. And Father, by your love, I yield to you that to be a conduit of your love to my neighbor. I cannot love people 
the way you want them to be loved. So, Father, your love makes me a conduit because your love empowers me to obey you and your love empowers me to be able to see how much you love me. Therefore, I can love myself with your love. All of that, then, Father, makes me a conduit for you to love others through me. Did you get that? I just prayed the first and second commandment. But I prayed it in the way the Lord wants it, us to understand it. That I can't do this. But what am I doing? I'm confessing with my mouth. I believe these are the two most important things to establish me in God today. I want my ears. I want my flesh. I want whatever iniquity there may be in me to hear me say to God. By the empowerment of grace, I belong to you, Father. You are the I am. You are, there is none like you. I am yours. You bought me with a price. I am not my own. And then some days I'll continue at this point and pray, Father, I am yours. Wherever you're going, today I'm going. Wherever, whatever you're doing today, I'm doing. Whatever you're saying, I'm going to say today. Father, by your love and grace, today I will love what you love. And I will hate what you hate. There's other stuff. but Just trying to give you a basic idea of this. God will tailor this to you and your faith. But the, the principles are important. And at this point, I usually, sometimes there's other stuff in between, but at, you, at this point, usually, I pray to receive the three things that Paul spoke to every church. Well, the two things he spoke to every church, then he added a third thing to Timothy twice and Titus once. Grace, mercy, and peace. And so I specifically say, Father, by your grace, I receive your grace from you today, Father. Because without you, I can do nothing. I want, I want my flesh to hear that. I want my intellect to hear my heart confess that. Father, I receive the work of grace in my life today. I can't want to want you enough to please you. But I, I, Father, I receive your grace to work in me today to cause me to will to please you. And Father, even if I will, I can't please you myself. So I receive the work of grace in my life today to empower me and enable me to do those things that please you. And then some days I'll pray it like this. And Father, I receive your grace in me to cause me to want to not do those things that displease you and to enable me and empower me to not do those things that displease you. And there, you could stay there a while. You can stay there a while. It's all kind of things. It, you'll, pray, you'll end up praying. If you do this, you'll end up praying things you never even thought of. It'll just come. You'll just be there praying it. 
Because the Lord wants you to speak it today. What am I doing? I'm releasing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to be active in my life today. I don't want it just sitting there. I don't want it. I don't want to make the Holy Ghost and the truth and the Spirit of God, the Word of God, a prisoner locked up in me where he can't do what he's supposed to do. I want to be his prisoner. I want to be his conduit. I want him to be in charge. And then, of course, this is the order Paul gave it in. But the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So every morning. It didn't matter if I had to pray about some stuff just to get connected that I had going on. and I, It was keeping the connection. Coming back to this point again. Father, I receive your mercy this morning. I repent of all my iniquity and every symptom that those, that symptom sin that that iniquity has caused. And some days I get more specific. Some days I don't. And I'll thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his mercy. And then finally, here you go. You ready? Father, I receive peace from you today because I receive your grace to empower me to humble myself today. And enable me to cast all my cares upon you. Father, I can't do this myself. But I humble myself by your grace to cast all my cares upon you. Now, what if there's nothing in my mind or spirit at that point? Well, I'll go on. But if there isn't, I mean, if there is, I'm staying right there till I've cast every care Till it's left my mind and there's nothing in my mind or spirit. How do I know I've cast my care when I stop trying to figure out how to fix something? If I'm still meditating on what's the answer, what, what, what needs to be done about this, how's this supposed to go, what, what do I think it ought to happen? If I haven't cast it, when I've cast it, I don't care anymore. He cares for me. That means I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to understand it. I'm not trying to fix it. I'm not determined, trying to determine on the time frame. I'm not trying to do any of that. All of this is his. None of it's mine. All I'm doing is what First Peter 3.11 says, seek peace and pursue it. My point, my point at this point in, in my prayer is peace. And I want peace that's not troubled by anything I'm hanging on to. Hear me a second, please. Some of you are feverishly taking notes. That's great. Here's something to take note for. Okay. <laughs> Praying about something is not casting it. I can pray about stuff all I want. But what do I do when I'm just praying about something? When I get up from prayer, I take it with me. And it stays in my mind. And it stays in my heart. You hear me right now? I don't apologize for this statement. On the first Friday night of August 2003, I died. I was crucified with Christ. And from that day to this... I have not lived with pressure at all. And any time throughout the day I'm feeling any pressure, 
you, ain't, you won't even know I'm doing it most of the time, even if you were right there with me. Father, I cast this on you. Forgive me for trying to figure this out. Forgive me for trying to solve this problem myself. Forgive me for trying to, to make, force a decision. Forgive me, Father. Here it is. Here it is. And I cast it till it leaves my mind. And all of that disturbance goes. And all I've got is peace. You ready? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, but the verse isn't over yet, because he trusteth in thee. Not just peace. What's perfect peace? Absolutely no mental or emotional pressure or distress at all. Why? Because I've given it up to God. Hope that the Lord expects me to do. Ex I'm going to tell you what the Lord expects you to do. Give it up. That's our excuse. But the Lord expects me to do this. And the Lord expects me to do that. And the Lord expects me to fix this. And go here and go do that. No, no, no. Everything the Lord expects you to do. He will empower you to do it. And there will be no pressure in doing it. Everything you feel pressure to get done. Poor old God. You know, he, he really is old. We don't even know how old he is. He, just, he can't even tell us how far back he goes. He says before the, from everlasting, everlasting, he's God. He's so old. And he just doesn't understand time. He doesn't understand when stuff ought to get done. Here we are. Lord, my rent is due. First of January, 2023. Where's the money? Did you get my point? Yeah. That's the way we are, you see. We don't want him to just fix this now. We want him to fix everything because it never, so it never becomes a problem that needs to be fixed. <laughs> question does it matter whether God does it a hundred years in advance or one millisecond in advance does it matter if it matters to you you're not casting it I, I don't know. I, I really, some, there's so much about God I don't understand. We went years trying to build a building and nothing worked. And then our building collapsed in the middle of trying to get a permit. And four years after our building collapsed, we finally got a permit after 10 years of trying to get a permit. And by the time we got the permit, we couldn't afford to build the building because it was 10 years before. And what we could have afforded to build 10 years before that, the cost had gone up so high we couldn't afford to build it. So we still didn't build a building. And so we start this third Sunday night service. And my plan was to find a warehouse that we could convert, really, really inexpensive space and convert. And even though they wanted a five-year commitment, we could make that work, you know. But what does the Lord do before we can even really get started? He shows us a piece of property. No, 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 no. 
I don't want property. Property means you got to build a building. I, I don't want that. I don't want that pressure. But but you know what? He he gave us this property, and this property is probably worth about three million dollars, and we got it for three hundred twenty-eight thousand five hundred five and a half acres of ground on a major four-lane highway. Yeah miraculous beyond comprehension it would have barely been more significantly miraculous if they'd have just given it to us which they practically did slight problem you can't use ground to have church you need a structure (laughs) well we've been trying to build in Arnold our main facility for years guess what all of a sudden it looks like the Lord's going to let us build Wait a minute. I only signed on to hopefully one day build one building. And now you're going to have us building two buildings at the same time. You want to hear a stupid statement? Lord, do you know how much that's going to cost? Uh, I, I, no, I don't know. Uh, you, you want to kind of help me out here? I wasn't, I, I didn't think about that. I, I just thought it'd be nice for you to have two buildings. It's, is it going to cost a lot? Well, yeah, Lord, it's going to cost a lot. Really? really? I, I, I'm sorry. I just, it never crossed my mind that it might be a lot of money. Lord, you know, you know what the payments of that are going to be? Here's the problem. I don't know what the payments of that's going to be. But I want to tell him what I think it's going to be. Really? Of course, you know, that's right. He's glutton for punishment. He doesn't ever think do anything normal. Uh, excuse me. It's not my idea. Sure not the way I'd want to do it. But there's a slight problem. Either I practice iniquity and tell him what to do and how to do it and when to do it, or I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This doesn't make sense to me. I thought I was dead, but maybe you want to do it. Can you kill somebody who's already dead? Because that's what this is probably going to do. Kill me again. Is there, is there something beyond being dead? Because that's where I'm about to head. Because guess what? None of those three pastors are responsible to the bank. For those payments. Guess who? The bank holds responsible for those payments. Oh, she writes the checks, but she's not responsible for it. I didn't sign on for this. You signed on to do my will, to obey me. Trust me, if I didn't know that casting cares worked, I would be losing my mind right about now. I'm as serious as I can be. I've already built one building, and I know how much it almost killed me. And that was an 82 and 3. And we tried to build again in 89 and 90. And the whole world came apart, literally. 
because the whole country went through the worst recession ever and we just about lost everything. Do I want to go through that again? No. No. No, I don't. And we can rent places. Yeah, you got to set stuff up and take it down. Big deal. It's not my problem. I don't have to do it. You want to have church set it up? Hope you enjoy yourself. Good. Praise God. You want a place to preach? Now you got a place to preach. You want a church service? Then you set it up. And you take it down. I don't have to do that. I've already done it. I put my time in doing that. I don't have to do that. You know how much easier that is? It's cheaper too. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be like the rest of the Pentecostals. You can come see our church. I mean, our warehouses, because they're going to look like warehouses. Trust me. We're not spending one dime more than we have to. And I'm telling those, those guys, I'm going to be responsible for getting these buildings built. If you want them to look pretty, you raise your own money. Because I'm not signing on the dotted line to make you a palace to have church in. It'll have walls. It'll have a floor. Not guaranteeing carpet. We may paint the concrete. There won't be any drop ceiling. We'll paint everything up there black so you don't see it. There will be water. There will be bathrooms. There will be air conditioning. The rest of that, I hope you got faith to raise the money for it. You say, you're kidding right now. You're being funny again. Read my lips. No. I am that serious. Why? Because we're not going to reach our area because we've got the prettiest building. So there's no reason to spend money on something that's not going to get the job done. Have any of you ever seen the picture of the place we're having church right now? It may be one of the ugliest buildings in all of Pentecost. Not on purpose. Just it's not the priority. Clean, presentable, yes. Fancy, no. The auditorium is nice. Depending on how you define nice. Does it look like a palace ballroom? No. It's got comfortable seats, and it's got air conditioning. It's got no heat, literally, because it's all foam insulation. And on the coldest day outside, we just have to put a little space heater in to kind of bring the chill off because people's body temperature brings it up, so why pay for heat? Because before the service is half over, we got to put ceiling fans on just because it's too warm in there. I know I'm kind of stuck on this a minute, but I'm not wasting time. It's 20 minutes to 2. I've been on my feet for 2 hours and 40 minutes, and they're hurting bad. So I'm not just here entertaining you. I'm trying to make a point. This is positioning prayer. 
Is there more to it? There's always more to it. That's the Holy Ghost leads. There's other elements that come into it, but these are things that to some degree I try to pray every day, and I want to speak them out loud, loud enough my ears can register the sound, and my intellect can hear me confess it. There's other things, but I don't confess them every day. It says the Lord leads. This is foundational stuff right here. Because these things, by the grace of God, put me in a position where I now can shift from me to flowing to the kingdom. We're going to talk about that tonight. Most of you have heard something about this, I'm sure, through call to war and the briefings and things. That's okay. Because you're going to get to hear it with your ears tonight. In my opinion... This whole week is about tonight. Because this is the revelation that if you're not practicing, you need to receive it and participate because this is the whole plan and purpose, counsel and mystery and will of God. That his body in the earth would be his conduit, the conduit for his word. Let's talk to the Lord a little bit here. Could we do that? I lose the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Whenever a person that's hearing this message live or recorded or streamed, that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the understanding of the first part of the path of life, how to get in his presence and abide in him and him abide in you throughout the day that he might flow through you for the purpose of fruitfulness in his kingdom. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, As you continue praying, I'm sure that you're now aware that I have spent significant time during this week at various times on each part of these things, each one of these things that's a part of positioning prayer. You did not realize I was doing it, but I told you the first session that revelation always comes in two phases. God gives the pieces, and then he puts the pieces together. We've been talking about the elements for six sessions. This session, we put the pieces together for the first part. Tonight, we'll put the pieces together for the second part. But 
The pieces have been supplied. So if you want to further understand the things you need to position yourself in in prayer, then you know you go back and you listen to the first six sessions again, and you go, oh, that's something I need to be praying about every day. Whether that prayer is a few seconds long or if you spend time on it for today because today there's an issue in me, in my flesh, that needs to be dealt with. Jesus' name. Now, as we pray tonight and we talk about kingdom praying tonight, you'll find out how important all of this is. Because after we've prayed kingdom stuff, we will end up praying for the protection of those involved in the kingdom. And guess what that's going to talk about again? Forgiving of sins, being able to forgive people that have offended us, dying out to self, and having victory over the adversary and all those spirits. So you position yourself in prayer, and you do warfare, and then you come back to the protection of the warrior, which kind of sounds a little bit like what you prayed in the first place about positioning. So it starts with this, and it ends with that, and in between, there's a whole lot of pleasure in the manifestation of the right hand of God through you as his conduit. Come on. Another few moments here. Come on. Here I am, Father. I can't do this myself. I can't do this myself, Father. I can't make this work myself. I confess my iniquities. And every single symptom sin. Father, lying is a symptom sin. Lust is a symptom sin. Jealousy is a symptom sin. Covetousness is a symptom sin. Pride is a symptom sin. Pride doesn't cause iniquity. Iniquity causes pride. The Bible doesn't say that Lucifer was perfect in all of his ways till pride was found in his heart. You will not see the word pride used any place that I can find in regards to Lucifer before the fall. It's entertaining iniquity that produces and reinforces pride. Iniquity. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm making my own decisions. Nobody's telling me who to marry. Nobody's telling me where to work. I'm going to work where I want to work. I want to marry who I want to marry. Nobody's going to tell me how to dress. Nobody's going to tell me what, what to do with my hair. Nobody's going to tell me to give 10% of my money and offerings on top of that. Nobody's telling me what to do. Nah, it's my money. I'll do what I want to with it. 
This is my body. I'll do, I'll dress it however I want to. I want my body to look like I like. Forget how God likes. I want my body to look like I like. In the name of Jesus. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you want to please God, you want the fullness of joy of being in His presence, you've got to let the Spirit of the Lord, the Word of God, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, help you deal with your iniquity. Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Just running your own life, making your own decisions, is it worth enough to you that God would confess he doesn't even know you? No matter how much you prophesy, how much you cast out devils, how much how many miracles you perform, it's okay with you if God doesn't even know you? Not me. What he does or doesn't do through my life, that's his business. But I want him to be in absolute charge. You see, that's what casting your care is. Casting your care is practicing the fact you don't want iniquity. You don't want to tell him what to do, when to do it, how to do it. You want to give it to him. Father, you do it. Your will be done, not mine. Your way, your time, not mine. You can't separate casting your care from overcoming iniquity. You can't separate it. They're the same thing. Not casting your care is iniquity. Casting your care. Casting your care is the humility of the surrendered person. Your way, Father. Your will, Father. Your plans, Father. Your word, Father. Not mine. Your flesh never stops wanting what it wants. That's why you've got, to, you've got to get victory over your flesh every morning. Whether it takes a few seconds, a few minutes, or a couple of hours. You've got to start your day with victory over your flesh. Every day. Because what so, seems so innocent to humans... Just flesh wanting to do what it wants to do, when it wants to do it, how it wants to do it. That seems so innocent to us humans. The Lord calls it iniquity. Even if what you're wanting has to do with his kingdom. Somebody needs to hear me. Even if your justification is what you want, how you want it, when you want it, is all for his kingdom's sake, it's still iniquity because it's not your kingdom.
It's his kingdom. Before we quit for the day, for today, this morning, afternoon, if you have not repented, you need to repent. Father, I confess my iniquity. I confess that I want to be in charge, that I want, to help, want you to help me do what I want to do, that I, that I ask you to help me to give me what I want, that I pray for the things that are important to me instead of casting everything on you. I repent, Father. By your grace, I confess that I have participated in iniquity even as I have prayed and tried to force you to do what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Brother Wright, how many times do I need to cast something? The biblical principle is this. Peter said, Father, how many times should I forgive my brother a day? Seven times? The Father said, no. Jesus said, no. Seventy times seven. Do you know how frequently somebody would have to forgive you or to offend you to offend you 490 times in a day? It comes out to approximately, if I remember the number correctly, once ever 2.93 minutes for an entire 24-hour period, somebody would have to offend you one time almost every three minutes to offend you 490 times. I got to be honest with you, ain't nobody alive that's got somebody that hates them that bad. 
So how can a person offend me 490 times in a day? They offend me once, but I keep it in my spirit. And I let it keep coming back up in my mind and my spirit and think about it and get offended over it every time I think about it. So how often should you cast by that principle? Every time it tries to come back to your mind. The moment it comes back, it's easy to cast. The longer you let it stay there, the harder it becomes to cast. You know why? Because before you know it, you begin to think of consequences and circumstances and what needs to happen so that we can eliminate this consequence, prevent this circumstance. What, what do I need to do? And next thing you know, your spirit is all worked up again. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In thy presence is fullness of joy. That means you have not fully entered into his presence till you have reestablished the righteousness today. How do I do that? I receive your love, Father. Because it is his love. I pray this sometimes. Father, you love me so much. You clothed yourself in flesh, went to the cross, took my sins on you. And you died, suffered the penalty for my sins. So that I could have your righteousness, your innocence put on me. Because Isaiah thirty-two seventeen says, the work of righteousness is peace. So if I reaffirm my faith in the love of God that has died for me so that I can be innocent in him because he took all my guilt and paid the price for it, then, then, then because I am, I have reaffirmed my righteousness, I'm confessing that I, I am wearing his robe of righteousness. Right, the work of righteousness is peace. So I can now have peace over my past. And that is the foundation for me having, seeking peace with my present and future by casting all my cares. And I cast all those cares till I truly do have peace. And once righteousness has produced that peace in me, that peace then will allow joy to come. And I have not entered into the first place in thy presence is fullness of joy. Till whether I've done it specifically or not even realizing I've done the steps, but I've prayed through what it means to ha be and have righteousness, and then I do the, the process by the grace of God of humbling myself, casting all my care over the past, the present, and the future, so that I, I have peace, and righteousness that produces peace opens the door for joy. Because now I'm able to fellowship with his presence without anything hindering that. That is the foundation for kingdom praying. 
That's why it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those things aren't the product of the kingdom, but those things ruling and reigning in our lives over our will, over our flesh, over our circumstances, positions us now in joy to, per to participate in the kingdom of God. First step. It is by my watch, one minute to two. Unless you're not going someplace, unless you plan to eat in this building, I'm going to do something really different. Do not stay in here and pray. Go get something to eat and rest. Because tonight, I don't know how long tonight's going to go. And you need to have some rest. And you don't need to come in here hungry. And since we've been praying, I'm not... I'm not saying don't, but I'm not suggesting that you come more than a few minutes early to get in your seat and just get your mind and heart and spirit in the, in the place, in the atmosphere. <laughs> Somebody looking at me funny. Oh, yeah, that's completely opposite of the last three days, isn't it? That's what the Lord said. That's what I'm saying to you. I'm giving you what he gave me. Okay? So, Pastor Lee, I'm ready to go eat. <laughs>